You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, good morning. My name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace Community Church. I'd like to thank Dr. David Calvert and the worship team for leading us. Uh, David, successfully defended his dissertation on Friday, uh, Speech Act Theory. It's the topic. Thomas Ray also defended his thesis recently and as his doctorate in educational research and policy analysis. Correct? Is that correct, Tom? It's a mouthful, yes. All right. I'm not a registered nurse, so, but I, I do get to uh, brag on these guys. It's, it's a lot of fun to, to watch well, it's fun to be on our end, you know, watching them uh, struggle with that stuff. But what, a, what an accomplishment. So if you are here for the first time, we are in a study in the book of Isaiah. Um, I don't know. I just I couldn't decide between Isaiah and Revelation. I really wanted a complicated book, you know. <laughs> so I uh, went with Isaiah a slightly lesser of the two uh, complicated books, I suppose. It's a great, great study. I can't tell you how much I am benefiting from this in my personal study. I do hope and pray that it's getting down to you in, in some form that makes some sort of sense. Uh, today is going to be a little bit about awesome stuff that you, we're going to get some context that helps us for the entire study of the book, but it's kind of like one of those class sessions that maybe if you, when you're in school, like these guys were, it, it, it's maybe not the most interesting, but it's very important foundational stuff. And it may be interesting to you, uh, especially if you're a, if you're a history nerd. Um, <clears throat> so, but before we get into that, I want to ask you a much more interesting, this is a much more interesting topic. How did you meet your significant other? Now, some of you may be thinking, uh, thanks for reminding me. Uh, Or some of you may be thinking, if I had a significant other, I would be happy to tell you. But I don't have one, so thanks for reminding me that I don't have a significant other. (laughs) Most of us have those dreams that we've been associated with because of our interaction interaction with fairy tales and, and... his romance uh, story, some, some kind of fictional love story, we do believe that dreams really do come true, right? And some people, I mean, Allison tells me that all the time. I, just kidding, I'm the one who's, uh, who says it, sweetheart, it came true. The day that we met, and we really do have one of those stories, the day that we met, we knew. We didn't say it right away, but we knew that This was something that God had ordained. In your dream relationship, be ye man or woman. I don't imagine you would ever say something like, tell you what, I think it would, this would be the ideal relationship. When we get married, let's spend one or two nights out of the week together. Maybe a good morning we're going to give each other. And, you know, a little bit here and there. But, but look, my free time is my time. It's your time. I don't want to mess this thing up by getting too 
fanatical. Let's just have a good relationship without trying to push it too far. Well, you know that's tr not true, and, and, and you know where the analogy is going, of course. I, I don't mean to insult your intelligence by being so obvious with the analogy. You would never propose such an arrangement when you're proposing marriage, which, which may be one of the reasons that so many people hold off. Commitment just ain't what it used to be. Boone Drug up in uh, Boone, North Carolina used to have all these great signs like they just had these little sayings that would be hanging from the wall. If at first you don't succeed, it's, uh, if at first you don't succeed, so much for skydiving. Stuff like that. And one of them was uh, <clears throat> nostalgia just isn't what it used to be, which I thought that's pretty, that's my favorite. But commitment just isn't what it used to be. People don't want to commit at the kinds of level that marriage requires. We're much less inclined overall to commitment than we were in olden days. Last Sunday uh, in Isaiah 6, we sang with the seraphim, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God is holy or other than. Not only is he other than us in his power and might as creator, but he is holy because he is a moral and ethical God. Now, you may think his expectations are too high. His morality is too old-fashioned, whatever that means, that God is old-fashioned. But, but still, you may think that. But we all have a moral and ethical code by which we live, don't we? It's just that your line may be in a different place than my line. You would not agree to one or two nights per week for a marriage and a good, healthy marriage relationship. You're like, no, no, I'm not going with that. We all have a code of morality, code of ethics. I'm sure you've heard the expression, there's honor among thieves. And it's funny, isn't it, when people who cheat other people for a life get cheated by someone and say, hey, that's just not right. What are you doing cheating me? I'm going to be talking like New York. We've been in New York this week, you know? So I can't help it. God has a moral code, an ethical code, by which he expects his children to live. But the Christian life is not a rigid set of rules, of do's and don'ts. It's about a relationship. Surely there are do's and don'ts in this life, but it's more about a relationship than it is about that it's like Chris said in his, his prayer a while ago, it's about what he has done, not what we do. It's first and foremost a life of faith. Our text this morning is Isaiah 7. Actually, it's 7 and 8, although we're going to spend most of our time in 7. The first five chapters of Isaiah served as a, uh, an introduction to his prophecy. And then chapter 6, recall that remarkable remarkable encounter between the Lord and his prophet. It was an encounter that left Isaiah feeling every bit as sinful as the people to whom he repeatedly preached and called to repentance. He's saying, woe to you, woe to you, six times in Isaiah 5. He sees the Lord in Isaiah 6 and he says, woe to me, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in a land of people with unclean lips. In an act of grace, we remember from last week, God forgave 
Isaiah's sins, though it was not without cost. Now, we speculated last week, did Isaiah's lips get burned when the, when the angel took the, the coal with the tongue and touched his lips? I don't know. There was fire everywhere, and yet they were not consumed. We're going to talk about the fiery god Molech this morning a little bit later, and his wrath consumes God is fire. He's holy, but it didn't consume Isaiah. Our God is a different God than any other God. The Lord Yahweh told over and over to the people of Israel, and we see that in the book of Isaiah. So there was a cost for Isaiah's cleansing, but it wasn't to the prophet himself. The cost was to Jesus, God's son, sent from heaven to earth, to live the life we were incapable of living and then die in as a perfect sacrifice for sin and sinners so that all who believe will be called sons and daughters of God. I bet you didn't remember all that being in Isaiah 6, did you? It's not all in Isaiah 6, but it's where Isaiah 6 was pointing. All of Scripture is pointing to the same place. Over and over and over we see these chiastic structures in Scripture, which some of my friends and I have sort of speculated lately. Did, did the authors know that they were doing this? It's like A, B, C, B, A. And it's an arrow that is pointing over and over. You find it pointing to Jesus. And Isaiah 6 was very much pointing to Jesus, the coal from the altar where there were sacrifices or praises during the sacrifices to God. Touched Isaiah's lips and he was cleansed. So, although all of Isaiah 7 and 8 are listed today as today's text, we're going to stick to the first 17 verses of Isaiah. We're going to see some history uh, about, uh, about Israel at the time or about Judah at the time that this book was written that very much impact the lessons that we're learning. Our formal reading will uh, only be from Isaiah 7 verses 10 to 14. <laughs> You're going to need more context than this. But I'm, what I'm about to say will just help you to understand, even as we read, um, a little bit of the context of what was going on. Ahaz was the king of Judah. Remember, Israel had been one nation. After Solomon, the ten tribes from the north broke off, and they became known as Israel. And down here was Judah. It was the, uh, the tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and actually Simeon sort of got got blended in there uh, with Judah and Israel, I mean Judah and Benjamin. But you've got the, the kingdom down south is known as Judah. That's where the line of Christ is going through Judah. Israel broke off, but Judah is where the promises uh, that were made that God's covenant people continually are poured out. Ahaz is a king. He's not the kind of king that his grandfather and his father were. They were good men who served the Lord, even though they made mistakes. Ahaz abandoned the Lord. We'll, we'll see more about that in a little bit. Ju Judah was being threatened by not only Israel, but Syria, two nations much more powerful than they were. And Ahaz was shaken up. He was afraid because these nations were trying to attack them. Isaiah told Ahaz that God promised to take care of Judah. Look, Ahaz... God's going to take care of you if you will trust him. 
And he even invited Ahaz in this text to, to ask God for an outlandish sign that would prove that he was going to take care of him. But Ahaz preferred his own solutions for security. We got two nations going to attack us from the north, but we're gonna, I'm going to take care of myself. I'm going to take care of our people. I've got my own plans. So that's an abbreviated context that will make more sense in a few minutes. But I also wanted to, but I just wanted to give you that much. Isaiah 7, 10 through 14. I think one of these verses is going to be very familiar to you. If you would please stand for the reading of scripture. <clears throat> again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. The significance of that word again. God has been reaching out to Ahaz, trying to pull him into a, a relationship of trust. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as the heavens. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David. <coughs> this is Isaiah. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Let's pray. Well, Father, um, so often... <laughs> When we read scripture and good and evil or good and bad are contrasted, we want to find ourselves in the place of the good. Um, and Lord, so often uh, it's really not true if we're completely honest. But Father, in spite of who we are, when Jesus came to die for us, our sins are forgiven when we repent and put our trust in him. And so, Lord, even those who have done that many, many, many years ago, may this be a day of remembrance. Even as we have partaken uh, of the bread and the wine, remembering the death of Christ and communing with you in a very special way. And really, just like last week when we talked about it was more that God encountered Isaiah or, or met with Isaiah than it was the other way around. You have met with us today. So strengthen our hearts uh, in our time at the table and in our time under the sound and the teaching of your word. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Emmanuel. God is with us. What a beautiful name. What hope, what comfort, what joy there is in the name Emmanuel, God is with us. Excuse me. The, our God is not a God only of ideals. He's not just an idea somewhere. The relationship that we enjoy with him is not confined to the spiritual or just the metaphysical realm. But God has entered history and met us where we are. So let's talk about history for a bit. 
Now, you may be as excited to think about history as you were to think about the moral and ethical codes a little while, but look, it's the same way. All of us appreciate history at some level. You may not know all the kings and the dynasties over the years and the ways that people functioned and lived in a certain era, but you know when, when people, when your parents start talking about you when you were a child and it's something you didn't know, your ears perk up, right? You're interested in that history. You're interested in the history of people that you admire, maybe even people you don't know, but you admire, such as musicians or um, film stars, whatever. There is people that we care about, uh, and, and we care about their history. Why is it history so important? Well, like the professor said, those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Those who do study history are doomed to stand by helplessly while everyone else repeats it. That's just pretty much the way it is. As Isaiah 7 opens, Ahaz has replaced his father Jotham as king of Judah. Unlike his grandfather Uzziah and his father Jotham, Ahaz has turned away from Yahweh to worship false gods, likely Molech and Asherah. Molech was this fiery god who required children to be sacrificed, a despicable practice. The, 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 the prophets of, of, of Molech or the, the priest of Molech would gather. They would say, he's called for a sacrifice, and everybody would have to gather and they would take certain of the of the children and sacrifice them in this fiery stone furnace. And, and one of the things that infuriated Yahweh was, why do you think we're, I'm like that? I am not like that at all. You think about Abraham. God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, right? And you, you read that and you're like, why would God do that? Well, let me explain. All of the nations around, it, it, all of the culture said it's a good thing to sacrifice your children. Molech was very popular when Abraham was there. When God said, Isaac, I mean, uh, Abraham, I want you to uh, sacrifice Isaac, your only son, I want you to sacrifice him. Abraham didn't question anything. He just got up, got ready, took Isaac and was about to sacrifice him. And when God stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac, Essentially, what he was saying is, stop it. That's not who I am. I'm not like the other gods. Ahaz didn't believe that. He worshipped Molech and he worshipped Asherah, who was a sensuous goddess of fertility with whom many immoral sexual practices were associated. Once again, God's like, I'm not like that. I am a holy God. I have expectations for you, but they're for your good. They're not to restrict you. They're to give you life. When we find Ahaz in uh, Isaiah, the beginning verses of Isaiah 7, he is shaken in his boots, as we would say, or shaken like the trees of the forest when a big wind blows, Isaiah would say. Why the fear? Because Judah was under imminent threat of war, and there was a high probability... <laughs> that Judah would be defeated and Jerusalem would be destroyed. <clears throat> if you look at it strictly through human eyes, that's what you would anticipate. Uh, and I, Ahaz was very accomplished at looking at everything through human eyes. Isaiah was sent 
to correct his thinking. The Lord is like, okay, get down there and talk to, to Ahaz, the king of Judah. When verse 2 says that the house of David shook with fear, it's like someone going to the White House and giving the news, and everybody in the White House is panicked. The house of David represented the, the, the ruling group in Judah. To understand uh, what was up, we, we have a great map that was created for us. It's not exactly drawn to scale, but it is very, very close. By a very gifted individual in our body who wishes to remain anonymous. So don't ask me. Don't talk about it amongst yourselves. You're in big trouble with God if you do. So no, no, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> this map is going to help bring a, a, a complex political system into focus. Don't you love the, the deserts, by the way, with the camels and the skull and the crossbow? And, and then the Star of David represents Jerusalem, where Jerusalem was situated here. The most powerful nation in the entire Western world in the 8th century BC was Assyria. I mean, all the nations that you see on the map were worried about Assyria, except maybe for Egypt because they were so far away. You had to go across one or two deserts in order to get to, to Egypt. So maybe they weren't quite as concerned, but everybody else had to give serious attention to Assyria. Uh, although the Babylonians weren't powerful enough to defeat Assyria at this time, they were a thorn in Assyria's flesh. And that was just one of a couple of reasons that Assyria was looking to expand the other way. Babylon, Assyria, uh, Greece later, everybody wanted to connect the Mesopotamian world uh, uh, with with. With Egypt, with those two great civilizations of years gone by, and, and, the, and the road ran right through Judah. So Judah especially is very, very um, in a tenuous place here. Um, so all of the nations were sort of looking to uh, band together to, to, to make a stand against Assyria. Ahaz had a very pro-Assyrian stance much like North Korea has a very pro-China stance in our day. A smaller nation is constantly looking to larger nations with whom they can ally, ally themselves so that others will leave them alone. Look, if you mess with us, North Korea says you're going to have to mess with China. So Judah was saying, hey, Assyria, I'm on your side. Uh, so Israel and Syria, both to the north of Judah and both closer to the tip of the Assyrian sword, uh, than Ahaz and Judah was, said, hey, Ahaz, we've got a great idea. Why don't uh, you join us and we'll all fight against Assyria? And Ahaz is like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh -uh. I'm, I'm throwing in with Assyria. We're going to ask Assyria to help us. So Syria and Israel didn't really appreciate that, and they turned and attacked Judah. And they were going to set up a puppet king so that they could get all the resources of Judah to help them in their fight against Assyria. Because there was no doubt Assyria was going to attack and unless something major happened, overthrow the kingdoms of Syria and Israel. So they desperately wanted Judah to be involved. And they said, we're going to lose some resources here, but we'll gain a whole lot more. Let's go attack Judah. Isaiah said, Ahaz, I've got a better idea. In fact, this is the best idea. Trust God. Judah 
represents God's chosen people. God loves this nation. Trust God. But Ahaz refused to trust God. And he refused to join with Israel and Syria. So Israel and Syria attacked Judah. How afraid was Ahaz? About as afraid as you would be if you were in the same situation. Just imagine that you had seen this morning a press conference. And the president of the United States. And if you don't like this one, put another one. It doesn't matter. The president of the United States said, my fellow Americans, they all say that. My fellow Americans, usually it means something big is up if they say that. But they went on to say, he went on to say, or she, if you are able to see this broadcast, you are in the minority of Americans because China has disrupted our communications. And there is a distinct possibility that if we do not surrender willingly to them, they will attack us in the next few days. Without access to technology and communications, our prospects are dire. May God help us. And then the screen goes blank. How would you feel if you heard that? I mean, life, as you know, it could be over in a matter of weeks or even a matter of days. That'll give you a little bit of sense of what Ahaz faced. <coughs> to further explain, this interaction with Isaiah seems to have occurred after Assyria, I mean Syria and Israel had already attacked other towns in Judah and they had had some success. Judah would eventually be okay though as long as Jerusalem stood. It would go back out, it would be okay. And that's what Isaiah was saying. There were attacks also coming from Edom, way down south. And also the Philistines over to the west. <clears throat> so attacks were coming from everywhere. And Isaiah's like, just don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. God's going to take care of you. Second Kings 16 tells us that Ahaz sacrificed his son. Isaiah comes to Ahaz, God will take care of you. But, but Ahaz was not in the habit of listening to God. So maybe it was somewhere along here that he sacrificed his son to Molech. Now let that sink in for just a moment. Ahaz allowed the priest of God to take his son, possibly the heir to the throne, who should be in the line of David, from whom the Messiah would come, Ahaz allowed the priest of Molech to take his son from his, from his wife's arms, slam him on these stone arms that open to a mouth with a fiery furnace. Why? He did it in hopes that Molech would protect Jerusalem, the city of David, home of the temple where God dwelled with his people. The Lord told Isaiah to take his son, Shear Jeshub, and go and meet Ahaz to tell him not to worry about Israel and Syria. Now, in case you're thinking about naming your son Shear Jeshub, you should know that it means 
A remnant, you'll want to know that it means a remnant will return. So Isaiah is basically, God is through Isaiah pronouncing both judgment and mercy. Judgment and grace. A remnant will, would assume that it's only a small group of people. A remnant will return. So he takes his son and goes and meets Ahaz where um, God had appointed, which is an interesting place. It was at the city's water supply. Ahaz went to inspect the water city supply before the coming siege. Without a, a, a reliable water supply, which would, the city wouldn't be able to hold out for long. Now, once again, let's <clears throat> make this where it makes sense. Imagine your city, whether it's Bowie's Creek, Fuquay, Verena, Angel, wherever it is, your city has a wall around it. <clears throat> and without modern day technology, you're, you're fairly safe in the walls of this city as long as you have food and water to hold out. But they, powerful nations would come and they'd say, okay, look, they don't want to surrender. That's okay. We'll just wait here. We'll wait them out. Jerusalem may have had food for a year or two, but there were, was only maybe two or three days at most a week's supply of water. Ray La Montaigne. That's trouble. Isaiah told Ahaz, it looks hopeless. I get it. But Yahweh will deliver Judah if only you will trust the Lord. Then in verse 9, these powerful words. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. In other words, though your circumstances are desperate, your only hope is to trust God, not to arrange for help. Syria and Israel intended to remove Ahaz, put up a puppet king to help him fight Assyria. But, but Isaiah reminded Ahaz that the end result is not up to the armies, but rather God determines what will happen. Think about that. The result is not up to the armies. The result is not up to the way things look in your life right now. God's the one who determines what's going to happen. Ahaz's only hope was to trust God. Our responsibility is to trust God. It's our primary responsibility in the trials to trust the Lord. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. How many people live their lives depending on external resources and other people and bank accounts and, and jobs and all kinds of security to protect them. And they come to the end of the life and they say, I think I missed it. If you're not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Another way of understanding this verse is this. If you do not believe, you will not be established. Let's pick up the dialogue at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. John Oswald uh, has said that although Isaiah invited Ahaz to put God to the test, it was really Ahaz who was being tested. He encouraged Ahaz to make an extreme request. Look, you can ask, ask for something outlandish as deep as 
as the dwelling place of the dead or as high as heaven. Ask anything you want. And God will prove to you that he's going to take care of you. Some scholars see this as the test that was the turning point for Judah. Think about it. This is the moment. If Ahaz makes the right decision, Judah is protected. Jerusalem, maybe for centuries and centuries to come. But if he makes the wrong choice, they will go into captivity. Isaiah acknowledged Ahaz as the rightful heir to David's throne, the leader of God's covenant people. He addressed Ahaz this way. Ask the Lord, your God, he's your God. You are the head of the people of Israel. Ask him for anything. Every opportunity was given to Ahaz to trust God, but his mind was already made up. He sensed the need for military help, as would you have and I. And Assyria would help get Israel and Syria off his back. These other two nations would help, or Assyria would help get these other two nations off his back. So Ahaz alluded to Deuteronomy 6.16, where testing the Lord was forbidden. But this wasn't a test in that sense. This wasn't someone saying, well, yeah, God, if you're, if you're such and such, prove yourself to me. By the way, here's one, here's one prayer God always answers. Your will be done. He always answers that prayer. Here's one he never answers. If you're God, then prove yourself to me. Doesn't work that way. You believe and then he proves himself to you. So Ahaz, though, used this verse and he said, Oh, I'm far too spiritual to trust, to tempt the Lord. Really what he was saying was something like, Hey, Love your neighbor as yourself. I don't believe in that stuff, Isaiah. And even if I did, the kings of Assyria and, excuse me, the kings of Syria and Israel certainly don't believe it. No, thank you, Yahweh. I have a better plan, Assyria. There are times in life when we are called to make a choice. Right now. And... That choice will determine the course of our lives for the rest of our years. Sometimes we have a sense that this kind of choice is coming, but sometimes it comes out of the blue. This indeed seemed to be a turning point for Judah. It would never be the same after this. Ahaz rejected Yahweh and the nation would suffer for it. And notice how quickly Isaiah switches from using the Lord your God in his address to Ahaz by saying the Lord my God. Verse 13. And he said, Isaiah said to Ahaz, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary me, men that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. How had Ahaz wearied men? Perhaps there were people in the, in the land who wanted Ahaz to be the spiritual leader that God had called him to be. Do you pray for your president here in the land? 
regardless of who it is, who it happens to be at the time, we're called to pray for the, 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 the rulers, those in authority over our land, pray for them. There were people that were desperate for Ahaz to be a spiritual leader. And he wearied them. Without question, Ahaz wearied God with his smug, politically minded response. I doubt that Ahaz had even a scintilla of the spiritual depth needed to understand the significance indicated in the naming of the baby. Emmanuel, or God with us. <coughs> the Hebrew word translated virgin could also be translated young woman of a marriageable age. But it was understood that this was a very special child. The Hebrew translators of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible into Greek or the Septuagint that was started some 300 years before Christ was ever born switched to the word that meant virgin. So you can see the progression of thought amongst the Hebrews. They understand this prophecy which was given to Ahaz for a very near future uh, uh, completion had, had a much larger sense in mind at a later time, and it involved the Messiah. As Isaiah 7.14 is a good example of the layered nature of prophecy that occurs throughout the Old Testament. Sometimes a prophecy would have that near fulfillment with a greater fulfillment anticipated in the future. It's likely that the near fulfillment of this prophecy would arrive in Isaiah's own son being born as recounted in the first few verses of Isaiah 8. And he would be called Meher Shalal Hashbaz. So David informs me the other day there's a, a musician of that name uh, that's popular today. I didn't know uh, that's the case. That means speeding to the plunder. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I know you're... Look, I can imagine how lost some of you are, and I'm so sorry. Get the, get the spiritual nuggets along the way as we go. Here's the point. Syria and Israel, the nations that, that, that Ahaz feared so greatly, would be defeated by Assyria. Ahaz, we're told in 2 Chronicles uh, 28 and 2 Kings 16, paid these nations or paid Assyria to do the very thing it was going to do anyway, destroy Syria and Israel. He didn't have to pay him, but now that he's paid him, he has to go to, to, to Damascus and worship other gods, and, and, and he finds himself a slave to Assyria, although he didn't have to be. Judah was delivered in the near term, but the nation would soon enough pay the ultimate for Ahaz, putting his trust in pagan gods and in political solutions rather than trusting God to protect his people. So to wrap up the history around this, verses 15 to 17. He, this is talking about the child that would be born. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. So much to talk about that verse, but just, it's just essentially saying, before this child is old enough, to determine right and wrong, it'll already be done. Syria and Israel will be out of the way. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord 
<laughs> then he goes on to say in verse 17, because of this choice that you've made, this choice that you made two minutes ago, and it's too late to say, no, no, wait, 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 let, wait I, need to, I need to reconsider this. It's too late. Because you've done that, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. You see, he wouldn't stop at Judah's borders. They may not, Assyria would never overtake Jerusalem, but they would do damage all through the nation of Judah in serious damage. It goes on to talk about their beards were shaved off and their heads were rubbed bare. These were signs of humiliation when a nation conquered another one. That was going to happen to the people of Judah because of Ahaz's bad choice. Isaiah essentially told Ahaz that he was worried about nothing. But because of your refusal to trust God, Assyria is going to turn its attention to you. And the result will be devastating. By Isaiah's time, the people of Israel had a fairly well-developed expectation that God would send a Messiah. Thus, many attached messianic significance to Isaiah's prophecy that a virgin would conceive and bear a son who would redeem the Israelites from certain destruction. Matthew 1, 22 to 23 makes a clear and direct connection with Isaiah 7, 14 and the conception and birth of Jesus Christ. Who was, who is Jesus? Emmanuel, God with us. He is the Messiah. He is, in fact, the Redeemer, and not just for Israel, but for all who will put their trust in him. In spite of what appears to be overwhelming evidence that you best, you best work out your own issues. As important as Isaiah 17, 714 is in Scripture, I'm sorry, we, whew, gosh, we did not get much sleep Friday night. It was a big night with uh, Allison's son, Jonathan, and so I am still trying to recover from that. Old men ought to get good sleep every night, <laughs> and I did not get good sleep Friday night. Uh, so as important as Isaiah 7:14 is in Scripture, pointing to the virgin birth of Christ, and with all its implications of the second coming, uh, or the second Adam coming to earth to live perfectly and die this sacrificial death for sin and for <laughs> For sinners, um, the verse that is the key to Ahaz's hope was likely the latter part of verse 9. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Ahaz thought it was ridiculous to do nothing but say, Lord, I don't understand everything that's going on around me, and it really looks bad, but I'm just going to do nothing and trust you. Instead, he went with what was right in front of him, political alliances and dependence on what seemed right, what felt right. Ahaz would have fit in very well in our modern times. Trust in reason. Go with the minority or majority. Indulge your superstition. Seek political solutions to problems that God designed so that you would turn your attention toward him. God designed these very things for you to look to him, but... Let's don't do that. Let's, let's figure it out ourselves. Let's work it out our own way. How can you trust the word of a God that you cannot see when you live in a world that will assign all sorts of names and labels to you 
for standing by the one who calls you to moral and ethical standards that most people have no intention of, 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 of living and meeting. You're kidding, right? A God that you can't see requires this and this and this of me? Huh, no way. Here is the advantage we have over Ahaz. We have had the privilege to see the sign of God's deliverance in the virgin birth of Jesus. The fact is, like Isaiah discovered when he encountered Yahweh in the temple, we are all sinners and God did something about our sin. Far from being nothing more than just a religious idea that gets people into trouble, God entered our reality, lost and hopeless as it was to redeem men and women out of the world. Jesus was born and lived among us, yet without sin. He died to redeem us, and just as Isaiah stood before Ahaz and gave him the option of trusting Yahweh, Jesus stands before us, offering salvation to any who will acknowledge his or her sin and put trust in his willing sacrifice for sinners. But such a decision is a serious one. It can't make it like, tell you what, hon, let's live... Let's stay together a couple nights out of the week, and then you do your thing, I'll do my thing. It's not like that. It's all in. It's all in or it's not in at all. It requires as much faith and commitment to God as was required of Ahaz with the enemy almost at the city gate. Regardless of the cost, to follow Jesus means to accept God's morality, his ethical standards, no matter who it upsets. That doesn't mean we ever go out of our way to offend people unnecessarily. But it does mean that we follow the Lord even if the cost is extremely high. Why would you do that in the face of such powerful Opposition? The warning that God gave to Ahaz is the same one that he gives to us today. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. But the implied blessing is equally true. If you are firm in faith, you will be established. You will be firm in all things. That's a promise we need to hang on to. I'm going to close this morning by focusing on the call to lifelong faith found in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Remember, as we read, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And in fact, if we are saved, God in us, not just with us. God in us. So Colossians 2. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, which is by faith. That's my addition. I'm just wanting you to know that. We receive Christ by faith, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. To this week in home group, we're going to talk about what are the promises that are given to the people of God in these New Testament days. In the Old Testament, serve me. I will bless you in every way. Love me, obey me, serve me. I will bless you in every way imaginable. Materially, psychologically, 
long life, lots of children, all good things will come to you. In the New Testament, the promise is almost the opposite. Serve me and you will suffer. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But there are so many blessings for those of us who are willing to follow Christ to the point of persecution. We're going to talk about those in home group this week. I surely hope you will be in one home group somewhere this week and get to talk about that. For, for now, though, we'll close understanding God's call for us. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness so that when that moment comes in your life, and it will come, you're going to go this way or you're going to go that way. You'll go the right way because you're firm in faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for suffering along with us, for being patient with us, and for continually calling us the faith in Christ. And Lord, many, if not most of the people here today, maybe most of the ones here today, have said, yes, I'll follow Jesus no matter what, even though it doesn't make sense, it looks like I'm heading for disaster and following this closely, I'm going to follow him. Father, thank you for the places to which Jesus went in order that we might be redeemed and be saved. And may we gladly follow him to the cross, just as we are dead to sin in Christ, we are raised to new life. We pray that you would cause us to be close enough to you that this life is a life of joy and not one of drudgery or one of fear, but a life of trust and grateful obedience the one who has done so much for us. Thank you for the relationship that we have with you in Christ and in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.